Hello everyone and welcome to a new edition of Thinking Aloud About Film. We are continuing our exploration of Arturo Ripstein films uh, and we are now on our third, El Lugar Sin Limites, The Place Without Limits. Richard, what did you think? As with the other two, I, I really enjoyed it. The tone was quite different from the other two. This was much more of a sort of serious, dramatic film rather than a genre film or an exploitation film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, but again, I thought it worked really well. Mm-hmm. I think it's a brilliant film. I mean, I'm in love with Arturo Ripstein, actually. It's like every film that we've seen, I think this is the best one yet. And this one in particular shocked and, and delighted me, really, because at the heart of this film is a queen. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's Manuela, who was played by Roberto Cobo, played brilliantly, who really reminded me of a character out of Kiss of the Spider Woman or a Manuel Puig novel, mm. right? And then it turns out there's a reason for that because Puig was the main screenwriter on this film. I read earlier that he wrote a screenplay for it and it was felt not to work and so someone else wrote it. Ah, well, I've read something different. I read that he, he worked on the screenplay, had a falling out with Ripstein, uh, demanded that his name be taken off the film, which it was, and then the film ended up being better than he thought and a big success. So then he constantly afterwards took credit <laughs> for having written the film, much to Arturo Ripstein's annoyance. Okay, right? yeah. Yeah, and there's a very good article on this by Catherine Grant, which I will put in the blog post. Mm, that's really uh, interesting. It is interesting because, I mean, have you read or seen Kiss of the Spider Woman? I've seen Kiss of the Spider Woman, yeah. So does it evoke something? I mean, oh, de- I definitely, yeah. I mean, this sort of, you know, defiance, gay, transvestites, um, say, use it with lines like, you know, someone calls him or her a queer, you're a, you're a degenerate queer. It's like, I may be queer, but I'm not degenerate. Yeah. Just, that was <laughs> a brilliant line. And, yeah. and this is, you know, and this is going on in 70s Mexico. Plus there's, yeah. you know, there's, there's the kind of ostensibly straight characters who are, you know, clearly closeted gays themselves and are, you know, are sort of denying they're attracted to this character when they clearly are it's it's very Mm. interesting it's i think it's an incredible movie it's a real find it kind of changes my notions of queer representation and of 70s cinema because to be honest i didn't realize something like this existed in 1970s cinema Mm. i mean you you know when you think of queer representation in the 70s you know you think of fassbinder mainly actually yeah, uh, and you know, Fassbinder, Fassbinder is so harsh <laughs> and cold and serious. I mean, I love him, but you know, perhaps you also think of Pasolini in this period in a, in a different vein. But my God, you know, Pasolini's most famous film of the 70s is A Hundred Days of Sodom. Right? So this is really quite, quite different. And also it feels quite true. One of the things that clicked with me when I heard that uh, Puig worked on the screenplay was the poetic dreaminess of the drag queen. Mm. Yeah, this is kind of a drag queen who has and is going through hell, right? But has this extraordinary fantasy life and way of coping with it through art and maybe a little bit of self-delusion. She's always triumphing 
even though she's very mm. scared. She's not embarrassed of who she is, but there's a real performative aspect to her being. She, she loves performing the flamenco, the Spanish dancing, right? And in a weird way, it also reminded me of, and perhaps not so weird a way, it reminded me of Tennessee Williams. Yeah, if you think of Blanche in A Streetcar Named Desire, yeah, with those kind, that kind of poetic self-delusion. There's a, t- a bit of that in this film, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the other thing it reminded me of a bit was Almodovar, in a way, this sort of just the thematically. And I do wonder if he, I, mean, I assume he'd have seen these films. I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure whether he would have seen this film, but there is a resonance. Actually, there is something in Hispanic cultures called Esperpento, yeah? which is really about the grotesque and the deformed, yeah? Mm. How art deals with reality by making it grotesque, by deforming it, you know, and by eliciting laughter, yeah? The kind of reality is so harsh that kind of all you could do is laugh, right? Mm. And Mm. I think the film does have elements of esperpento, yeah? That kind of, you know, even what the film is being funny about is being funny in quite a dark way. Mm. Right? Like, you know, it elicits laughter from a kind of quite a tragic situation. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think one can see all those connections. And it's one of the things that it makes the film so interesting. But I think before we proceed, why don't you at least lay out the plot for us? <laughs> it's, it's set around a, a brothel where, the, where this character we're talking about lives and, and runs it he is there with his daughter his, his teenage daughter you realize this town where the brothel is is, is basically dying uh, because the local mayor i guess has bought up all the properties in town apart from the brothel and wants to buy the brothel then this truck driver arrives at town and he's got some history with with the gay character it appears he beat her up the previous year and she's quite scared of him being there. You then get a, a lengthy flashback sequence where you see how this gay character first arrives in the brothel, how he manages to have a daughter, how you know, how he first meets the mayor. There's a there's a big party. It kind of ends in what could be interpreted as an act of violence against the the, the, the gay guy transvestite, but he laughs it off. And then we're back in the present day and the things escalate. The, 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 the truck driver and his brother or brother-in-law arrive at the brothel. They're mistreating everyone. And uh, the way I interpreted it is the, the, the gay guy sort of inter- essentially in, in, intervenes in order to save everyone else, but to, to tragic uh, consequences. Yes. From the first moment, I thought um, this film was brilliant. So it begins as almost black and white. Yeah, mm. the town is so gray as to almost seem black and white. And then you have a red truck passing through this monochrome kind of landscape, right? And from then on, all of the film's decor is on various shades of red. Red signifying the devil, lust, blood, and also in its lighter shades, a kind of femininity, right? But that is the design of the film. You pointed out that it's the same house, yeah, that was used in... 
in Castle of Purity. Yeah. Yeah, the, it is, and it really is. It's the same kind of courtyard. There's yeah. No question about it, which is used as the setting as, you know, uh, for the for the brothel. I mean, it's it's dressed up differently, but it's clearly yeah the same uh, set. I think this is a much deeper film, and one with greater aspirations. Yeah, it begins with a quote from Marlowe, um, which ends with uh, "Where hell is, there we must be." Uh, you know, so the whole brothel is kind of seen as a metaphor for for hell. I can totally see it, though. As far as visions of hell go. I could imagine worse ones, right? Because, I mean, one of the things that's so striking about the brothel is the kindness, yeah, that amongst all of the people there, really. And even, actually, you know, in relation to some of the customers, they take in an old woman who really can't, you know, screw anybody any longer, right? But you can tell that they're doing it out of charity and out of kindness and... You know, she's there and she helps and she's a kind of a maid. And when I, if, you know, if somebody wants to sleep with her, then fine. It really is a kindness to her. All of the women are very kind with each other. You know, Manuela, the drag queen, has a real place there. I mean, you realize subsequently that it's also her place. It's partly her place. Her, her daughter and she own it. But nonetheless, there's a real acceptance of her, you know, from... The guy who runs uh, the village, yeah, Don Alejo, through uh, the neighbors, I think it's Ludovina. Uh, you know, so other people in the village also kind of accept the existence of this drag queen amongst them. I think it's a kind of a complex representation of hell, if it is hell. Yeah, because, yeah, because yeah. really the the the, you know, the evil in the film is actually th this external force it's the you know it's the truck driver and his brother it's it's not the it's not anyone in the town you know it's, it's these people that arrive and yeah destroy it the evil in the film is machismo to an extent that even because don alejo is also a kind of villain in the film he's the big landowner who controls everything the reason why the town is so run down is because he's buying it house by house so he can sell the whole village and make a huge profit. The whorehouse is the only place left in town that he doesn't yet own. So in a way, he's running down the town to profit from it, even as he was the deputy. He'd been elected yeah, into the government by the town. And so instead of helping it, he's completely run it down. Yeah. So he's not exactly a hero. So just saying that Don Alejo is, is far from being a hero in the film, Yet, he's not the main villain, because the reason why he's not the main villain is because he himself is not a macho. He's very accepting of Manuela. He's very accepting of, of difference. You know, he'll say something like, oh, well, I'm not into that myself, you know, but let people do what they want. In the, in the flashback, I kind of assumed when this scene started that something bad was going to happen. He was going to swindle the, the owner out of the, the whorehouse. But he, yeah, he, he basically bets her that she can arouse the, the, the um, is it Man Manuela, Manuela? Um, and he, he kind of watches through the door to see what happens and and, and she does you know um, yeah. she, she does manage to have sex with Manuela and, and you know clearly that's how that's how the daughter 
appears and yeah that's fine he, he, he yeah you won the bet you know here's, here's your money it, it's all above board and, and, and at the end while he doesn't intervene in what happens at the end he he it's clear that he's gonna get justice i thought that what was interesting about that scene where manuela and la japonesa sleep together and presumably where they procreate and make you know the the, the daughter they eventually have together was so touching because you know he says i might fall in love with you and she says, don't fall in love with me, because if you fall in love with me, you'll become a man, mm. right? And then, you know, so being a man in this film has all these associations of being a brute and being a barbarian and being violent, yeah, and being unscrupulous, right? It's a very peculiar view of masculinity. So it's a type of masculinity that's condemned. And I would go further. It's a type of masculinity completely enlaced with homophobia mm. that the film denounces. Other types of masculinity are more readily uh, acceptable uh, by all of the women. Yeah? And there's a real allowance for all kinds of human weakness, yeah? except that kind of macho brutality that leads to murder and that is often accompanied by a homophobia that's internalized. Right, so it's very clear in the film that Pancho, yeah, the th the main threat, the truck driver, yeah, that has a score to settle, and that as soon as he comes onto the scene, the whole tension in the film rises, yeah, and you you have this foreboding of something horrible to happen, you know. By the end, it's very clear that what happened is that he's responding to Manuela, and he's so aghast, not so much at his response but at a public perception of his response. Earlier, he gets very angry that the daughter sees him crying. Uh, you know, she's <clears throat> seen the, the mask slipping, his machismo mask slipping. I, I expected when we went into the flashback that we were going to see the events that are being referred to between him and Manuela the previous year, but we don't see that. But we know that they'd met the previous year and, and something had happened. He'd end up ended up tearing Very Manuela's regret. dress. Manuela is very scared. Uh, but when he when he's back in the in the brothel, he's essentially him and the brother are, are sort of, you know, threatening the women. And um, Manuela basically distracts them by coming in and, and, and dancing with Pancho. It becomes very clear that, that he's responding and presumably I assume this is what had happened the previous year, you know, that that, that he'd he'd responded. It's clear that's what he wants until the brother sees and it's like what the, what the hell are you doing? Um, and then he lashes out. There's a real irony in the film, I think, about a someone taking their brother-in-law to the whorehouse. Yeah, can you imagine? Mm. It's like, yeah, yeah. It's, you think, well, what about his sister? <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Women really, to these men, women really don't matter whether they're your sister or not, right? So it's okay to go with your brother-in-law to the whorehouse. Mm. But heaven forbid if you're seen kissing a drag queen. And that is totally jiving with or rhyming with that earlier part in the film where the little Japanese, the, the daughter, witnesses him crying. And because she witnesses his weakness, or what he perceives as his weakness, she must pay. Yeah, so she says, as a result of you seeing me, I'm going to make you scream and in public, right? Yeah. With other people witnessing it, right? Which is, you know, kind of so uh, powerful, really. 
I mean, there are many areas really that I want to that I want to at least kind of mention. First of all, it's the look of the film. I mean, what did you think of it? It's a restoration, isn't it? As with the other films we've seen, it's quite sparse, and the, there's sort of because the town is pretty much empty, and you see these these spaces with four or five people kind of dotted around it, but clearly they've been placed in a way that you know, that has meaning in the relationships between the characters. I, I just found all that great. And as you said, you were saying about the colour, it's mainly pretty much black and white apart from these reds that appear. It felt like a lot of thought has gone into every aspect of that. Yeah. I mean, some of the angles and the compositions are just fantastic. You know, that whole scene where he, he's trying to hide away and he hides in the kitchen coop, the chicken coop, you know, and he's observing what's happening to his daughter. I mean, I thought that had such incredible dramatic tension, right? For all kinds of reasons, right? You know, so it's okay for his daughter to be, yeah, a whore, fucking men, right? Yeah, but not when she's being abused, right? And that's kind of when he intervenes. And the way that he's filmed crouching through the wire, right? And the way that he then looks in and she's seen at a distance, framed within frames within frames and, you know, quite vulnerable yeah, at yeah. the end of that. I thought it was just beautiful, really. Um, as the last sequence where these brutes are chasing her through town in their truck. And basically, again, you know, there's that sparsity that you talked of, mm. you know, because you're just seeing the truck and the person. And the truck's red and the dress is red. And it was an amazingly tense scene, I think, you know, you, yes. you, you know where it's going, but it, it's, it was, you know, terrifying, really. Mm. I thought, you know, I really think it's the work of a master filmmaker, it's so interesting because I was reading something, you know, someone was saying that the filmmaking seems quite basic, right? That the, the film has a tendency to tell and not show. And the question was, have we just seen the same film? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, because it's kind of, you know, so, so clearly a film that has wonderful dialogue. I mean, there's a, there's a scene where she says, Ev every brothel uh, benefits from having a drag queen. And, uh, and one of the characters says, yes, you know, but, one that, but not one that's no fun and old like you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it has like brilliant dialogue, very poetic dialogue. It does have lots of dialogue, you know, but it is also a film that knows how to show and knows how to pace, and knows how to dramatize, actually. Uh, uh, and also, you know what you were saying about the sparseness? It's so well judged, because the one moment where it isn't sparse is the moment of the party, the flashback, where, you know, Don Alejo has been elected deputy, and they're celebrating his victory. And yeah. already from that moment, you tell he's breaking every promise, right? But the town is full and full of life and there are children and families. Before and after that flashback, we see nothing else. And it's almost like the, the, the present day bit, they're trying to, you know, recreate what was happening in that party. But, but they, they, they just can't because everyone's gone. The film is also seen as a kind of an, a, an evocation of the changes that Mexico was going through at the time which I suppose most industrialized countries were going through at the time, and most countries in the process of industrialization were going through, which is a rural depopulation, exacerbated by the power of, of large landholders, right? So I think 
you, you could see Don Alejo, the control he has over, ta over this, the way that people respond to him. Nobody dares refuse him anything because he's got all the power in the place, right? Yeah, so, yeah. So I suppose in some ways he is kind of a metaphor for the devil, really even though he's not the worst villain in this hell. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he is the one that kind of causes, yeah, a lot uh, of the problems. Yeah, um, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about Pancho the truck driver? Because he's given a, a complex history. His history is that he was the son of the butler, yeah, that Don Alejo, you know, had loved the father, yeah, mm. his butler. Yeah, he had a very sure. close kind of relationship. Uh, that they had a disabled daughter and that they engaged Pancho to play with her. Yeah. That's right. And he pushes her along in the trolley and she that's pretends right. to be dead. <laughs> uh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and as a result of that, Don Alejo offers him an education, yeah, to the, the opportunity to study to be a doctor. But Pancho is such a brute, so bad with figures, so, you know, unable to learn uh, that he refuses, he runs away, right? Uh, and, and kind of only returns to ask to borrow money for the truck. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's someone that Don Alejo feels obliged to because of his, of his butler and Pancho's father, whom he's clearly very fond of, yeah, but who also he's very disappointed by. Uh, and you get the sense that Pancho also feels this disappointment and suffers from having disappointed him because that's why he cries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a very interesting kind of rounded representation of what is meant to be a quite a hateful figure. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's what surprised me that that backstory isn't conveyed in the flashback which it could have been because the, the timeline would have been right so you know that was given the age of the daughter that must have been 20 years earlier and the you know pancho and, and the, the disabled daughter would have been children the film is accused of being baroque what do you think perhaps i mean it's it's, it's very melodramatic it's um I, you know i when you while you're watching it, are you are you absorbed in the story? Does it and does it move you or shock you or whatever? And you, you know, yes, it does. And, and so, uh, maybe it is baroque, but I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I do because I find it fascinating that it is simultaneously baroque, the way that Tennessee Williams mm. can be considered baroque, and on the other hand, it's very sparse and clear. Yeah, and, and with its own kind of purity. So the combination of that Baroqueness and yet the simplicity, you know, of shots, of setups, of angles, I find it fascinating. If you read, yeah, if you read the synopsis of this on, on, on Mubi, it sounds like a film that's going to be very flamboyant and camp. And it, it really isn't that kind of film. It, it's it's, it's a, a, a sort of tense, sparse, tense drama that just happens to center on a on a drag queen, a bit like Kiss of the Spider Woman, I guess. In, yes. in that, so. Yeah, that's a very interesting thing because I mean, so what were the words you used? Flamboyant and camp. Camp, yeah. I think it has a very flamboyant and camp character. Exactly, yeah. But within the film this... itself is not flamboyant or yeah. nor camp, really. 
it's a very interesting collaboration, really, you know, between Ripstein and Puig and others. Also, it's transnational because it's the novel is based on, it's a Chilean novel yeah, from 1966, uh, at least partly written, uh, so the, the novel is by José Donoso, at least partly written by an Argentinian and made in Mexico. There is a, a Hispanic dimension to this, which I thought was very interestingly conveyed as well by the music, you know, because the music is full of rancheras and boleros and, you know, uh, uh, Celia Cruz <laughs> from Cuba. She says, I want some tropical music. And Celia Cruz <laughs> comes on, right? Fabulous, right? And then there's Spanish uh, pasodobles uh, as well. So, it's you know, the music is kind of, you know, Hispanic music. It's a shared heritage among Spanish-speaking peoples. So I thought that was lovely. Um, I also loved and value and think amazing the queerness of the film. You know, and I think this is where your comparison with Almodovar, to me, kind of becomes more and more apt, right? I mean, if you think of the character, you know, so on the one hand, you know, he's at one end of the spectrum, for sure, he's gay, you know, he kind of, uh, he, he says, you know, I only use my penis to pee with, I can't do anything else with it. <laughs> <laughs> but on the other hand, he does end up doing much more with it than that. He has a daughter, he sees himself as a woman, but who's not a woman. He acknowledges his queerness and kind of takes pride on it. The price of that has been a very harsh life. Like, you know, basically he says, you know, he got caught yeah, with another man as a boy or with another boy as a boy. And, you know, his father was so used to whipping him to the extent of drawing blood that he just never returned home because he knew what awaited him. Yeah. And he's been flitting from town to town, just surviving. It's kind of this harsh life, an acceptance of it, a mid-ground in terms of gender, uh, a very uh, one side of the continuum on the side of sexuality. Mm. Yeah, um, a very unembarrassed, unashamed sense of self that leads to, you know, many kinds of social acceptance and also particular kinds of social persecution. Mm. And I think it's kind of an astonishing queer portrait that would be, you know, amazing to see now and that feels like something extraordinary from a film of this period. For someone of his culture and his generation to be open to creating something like this, you know, with such complexity, without judgment, where the subject is this queer person represented in such a queer way, you know, and maybe that's why he brought Manuel Puig into the... Yeah, writing. yeah. You know, I mean, it, it feels amazing. I think it's an extraordinary film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that I'd like to see again. I mean, what moment struck you as particularly uh, uh, moving or significant? The imagery in the final sequence where, where she's being chased by the truck. I, I just thought that was an, an amazing... Thing. And 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 super tragic because mm. the whole film has been about how lovable she is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How funny, how witty, how kind, you know, how she gets along with everybody, makes everyone feel at ease, 
there she is, you know, being run down through this truck, kind of like a dog, yeah, and kind of beaten and kicked and, you know, ultimately murdered. Why? Yeah, because other people are afraid of themselves. Yeah, because yeah. brings out the people, the fear that people have of who they might be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's kind of so, I don't know, poetic and moving, really. Yeah, yeah. And then the the mayor says, well, we'll make sure they end up in prison. We'll see how long their machismo lasts there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is an interesting comment. You know, it, it's, it's interesting. It's, I think it tells you something about his character as well. Very much so, yeah. And also about how times are changing. Yeah, and also how age doesn't, you know, doesn't make you prejudiced. You know, there's a tendency to think of older people as being more conservative and more set in their ways. And, you know, it's clearly not the case here with Don Alejo. Yeah. Uh, so uh, a brilliant film uh, that I highly recommend uh, people see. You know, part of this extraordinary cycle of films that we're very lucky to see on movie. We will continue uh, exploring the rest of the works, the Arturo Ripstein works on movie. I think we have two films left. Uh, thank you very much for listening. I'm Jose. I'm Richard. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.